Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part one of my conversation with Jennifer Sparrow, Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at City University of New York's School of Professional Studies. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. My guest today is Jennifer Sparrow, Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at City University of New York's School of Professional Studies. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm really good. Great to be here today. So I know we, I got a little formal there. City University of New York School of Professional Studies is a long, <laughs> long name, but it's usually referred to as CUNY, City University of New York, and SPS uh, for School of Professional Studies. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of talk about CUNY and SPS moving forward from here. Um, actually, Jennifer, I don't know if you remember, I think you and I met um, over a decade ago. Because you were at Mega Evers. Yes. Just the yes, institution you were at prior. Mega Evers mm-hmm. is another um, CUNY schools. CUNY has 20, I think, five schools, yeah. something like that. Um, and um, in the city, you know, of, of New York, obviously. Um, and and you were at Mega Evers before, and you were a mm-hmm. professor there. And I think you, you, you held some administrative roles as well. Yes. I started out as a professor in the English department for about um, 10 years. And then I moved into the Office of Academic Affairs as the Dean for Academic Affairs. And that was where I really got, I got involved in e-portfolio in academic affairs. We participated. That's how we met. Yeah, yeah. We were in the the Making Connections project with LaGuardia and all the other colleges. Yeah. It's a long time ago, LaGuardia and Bronx Community College. so I'm, we went back to the days of um, Brett Einan from LaGuardia yes. and Jordy Getman and Howard Walk. Yeah, um, it's a great Bronx. experience. And I'm still friends with so many of the people I met in that. It was just a phenomenal faculty development experience. And uh, and Judith is, uh, um, I'm forgetting where she is now that, the new school, I think, but she teaches part time um, for SPS. Also. Oh, is so that I, right? Oh, yeah. Great. You so was, was, was at LaGuardia as well. Yeah. She was at mm-hmm. LaGuardia, and yeah, um, what a great group of um, colleagues, and some of them alum um, of of this group. Yes. You know, I I feel really honored and privileged to have been involved with all of that, and um, in fact. Um, our friends Jordy Getman uh, was a Digi Scholars Conversations on season one, episode, I'm looking up 17. And How It Walk was the season finale of two <laughs> of our season two. Was it a um, cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> None of us get paid for this. <laughs> and uh, and Howard at this point had retired uh, from being the provost of uh, uh, Gutman Community College. Um, it's, uh, I feel a little bit old, Jennifer, but you look the same, how? <laughs> and I don't even have enhanced my appearance on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
So um, I think that when we met, we were doing you know portfolios, and you were at Mega Errors. Mm-hmm. And what what were some of the things that you were looking to do? Like what brought you to want to do e-portfolios at the time? You know, at Medgar, we were, uh, I'm trying to think of which, we were working a lot with the education department, and they were very interested in um, in portfolios for the teacher education candidates. So there was a lot of interest there. Um, and I think also from kind of a freshman year initiative, too, as a way of setting up something for new incoming students so that they could collect their, you know, examples of their work and really sort of be able to look back on their growth at the end of the experience. I know that we're going to talk about what now you're doing at SPS, you know, with portfolios later. And I'm sure there's must be a pretty amazing journey to, you know, see all of the different sort of uses and, 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 and things that have pop pop up over the years. Um, you want to tell me a little bit about um, SPS, you know, for those who are listening who don't know anything about SPS, because it's a, actually a rather unique school within the CUNY system. Um, you yes, want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, SPS was founded, it's one of the newer units in CUNY. It was founded in 2006. Um, to serve um, the New York City community, um, both uh, people who had some college and no degree and were looking to come back and finish a bachelor's degree. So we've always been, at the undergraduate level, we've always had only degree completer programs, no uh, full-time, first-time freshmen. And um, we had, and until very recently, still had the only um, online programs at CUNY and then there's another whole um, part of, of SPS, the Office of Professional um, Education and Workforce Learning that does a lot of uh, kind of contract or custom education and, and a lot of work for the city. So different city employee training initiatives. So, I mean, the college was really founded to serve the adults in New York City, to serve the the workforce community, the the city sector, and and really to be kind of different different than the rest of CUNY. Um, A word that is often used that I have to say I'm a little tired of at this point is to be nimble, Um, (laughs) because nimble can get a little bit exhausting. (laughs) Well, if you're being nimble for 10 10 years, years, (laughs) jump here, jump there, go over (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so now we've got, I'm ballparking this, but I believe it's a, a dozen undergraduate online degrees and a dozen graduate degrees. And we've been in since 2020 and the pandemic, um, we were really busy because we were asked, um, since we, we had already been doing quite a bit of um, faculty development for the university, uh, we, we have a program called uh, Preparation for Teaching Online. And in the summer of 2020, we really um, scaled that up. And over the course of like May through August, trained about 2,500 faculty from across CUNY all went through this workshop. So we went from offering it you know, maybe four times a year to to about 25 to 40 faculty to offering these really jumbo um, 
experiences that had, we called the main workshop site, the hub, and then each hub would have been attached to about 15 to 20 um, kind of sections. So it was, it was really an, an enormous undertaking. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, I enjoyed it. It was, it was really fast paced and innovative, but we got to work with a lot of CUNY colleagues and, um, you know, it felt really good to know that when everybody had to pivot and offer online courses in fall 2020, that, you know, the people were prepared or at least better prepared than they would have been otherwise. So um, that's a way that, it, you know, in some ways I always, I almost feel that uh, SPS is kind of, you know, we will be a, a service unit sometimes for the university in, in that way and in other ways. I think that's that's tremendous, and I have heard really good things about it. I know faculty members who, you know, sort of credited to um, this, you know, opportunity that SPS offered mm -hmm. as being. If it wasn't there, they wouldn't know what to do. They would. They were completely stuck. Yeah. And, and I think that we sometimes forget because I work in technology, and you've been so uh, prolific in your use of te education technology for so long that there are there were still many faculty members mm -hmm. up until the spring of 2020 who who said i will not use technology or i will i don't have to until i retire so i'm not going yeah. to really resistant um, yeah like, yeah so it's a it's a um sort of um i guess a byproduct of this horrible pandemic <laughs> in that it it it's sort of created an opportunity for everyone to have that experience, which is really, you know, which is actually remarkable that you were able to pull that off. All of us were able to sort mm -hmm. of pull that off, I guess, to to a certain extent that you can't say everyone pulled it off maybe, but, you know, it's, it's by and large had been, um, you know, successful given the circumstances <laughs> and the sort of short ramp up time, right? And it's, you know, I've, I've read articles, not just about CUNY, but everywhere that, you know, the, the attitude from faculty and from students toward online learning has really changed. And in general, yeah. it's much more positive now. And at CUNY in particular, it seems that students are really looking for more online courses now. They, they want them, which makes a lot of sense to me because CUNY you know, we're not a we're not a residential college. People who go to CUNY tend to be busy working, and it's nice. Maybe maybe they don't even want to take a fully online program, but to be able to fit in some of their courses online it makes a huge difference. To be able to be home, you know, right. at home and doing your work with your kids around instead of having to be at school. Right. That's also the thing about living in New York, right? I mean, yeah. things are by miles not. Not doesn't seem that far, but traveling three miles mm -hmm. in New York can take forty five minutes, yeah. um, and and uh, and and multiple trains, you know, <laughs> and and and, right. and all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of unexpected hurdles that you have to jump through, um, and and um, and that flexibility certainly, you know, mm -hmm. I think I think initially it feels like that it fits that, like you were saying, you know professional studies um, sort of band of students, you know, mm -hmm. who are maybe working full-time but need to, uh, but would still like to complete their their undergraduate degree, you know, or graduate degree. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I think now we're seeing more even in sort of what what would have been considered people who would go to a a four year undergraduate you know full time degree right. they're also saying hey hold on a minute you know I I I don't have to go through this um residential you you know sort of experience and maybe I don't want to have that experience you know people are from different places and I think even my daughter is at a residential college and sometimes she'll be like you know I just didn't really feel like getting up and going putting my clothes on and walking across campus and so sometimes those kids want to you know like watch them participate on zoom yeah Um, Yeah. we also last year we did a another experiment that I was really interested in, um, which was the high flex. And so mm-hmm. last summer we did, um, and it, in the fall, we did high flex seminars with, um, with colleagues from around CUNY. And so people came together and tried to learn about high flex and map out what would a high flex, you know, course plan look like. Well, um, why don't you say one sentence about high flex? For oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> high flex hybrid flexible courses. And in the kind of perfect, ideal, high-flex world, uh, the course would have three different modalities, options. It would have a fully online, asynchronous kind of track, if you will. It would have uh, a hybrid track uh, where someone would be able to come in and sit in the live classroom and participate and interact with the teacher and classmates or someone could participate live, synchronous, but be remote, so that when the teacher is in the classroom, the teacher is interacting both with people sitting in front of her and also um, the people who are online, and ideally either through chat or, um, I don't know, through technology that works really well, the online people can talk to the in-person people. Um, And the really best part of it for the students is that the students don't have to choose like every week or every session they could decide oh it's Thursday I feel like I'm going to go to class today Um, maybe then I have to go on a business trip so I'm going to do everything asynchronously for a couple of weeks and um, you know the learning outcomes the experience it's all meant to be equal and equitable across any of the modalities, which is great for commuting students. It's great for people who have disabilities. Who it was really challenging for is it's really hard for instructors because that's, um, you know, on the instructor side, you're, you're kind of building out and running. You're almost teaching two to three courses at once. So that the instructor workload and the, the technology challenges really, um, I mean, I think there's still interest in it. And in my heart, I think that that's what's going to be the future. But it, the technology is really challenging. And yeah, you, know, I, class, I, you kind of feel like, what I have to, you know, watch right. students here, look at my computer, look at the ones in yep. front of me. It's really hard. Right. <laughs> it's almost like as, a, you know, there is an additional performative um, requirement by the yeah. instructors but you know, I I will say that um, being a professor in in some ways has never been easy. You know, for some people right. that whole public speaking part is right. I mean, some for some people, public speaking itself, you know, is is more fearful than death. It right? always makes me nervous. <laughs> right. Did. So there's that, and then mm-hmm. there is the 
you know, there's so much that you have to, you know, deal with. And I actually do think that um, maybe it's not going to be for absolutely everyone, but I think that a lot more people has that capacity than they mm-hmm. they, they think. And um, I think that this idea, though, that making something that is accessible to people who are who are not able to come to to mm-hmm. to campus, you know, physically, is um, incredibly liberating, mm-hmm. because, you know, like you were saying, it could be about a disability, it could be about a financially, you know, there were some other reasons, maybe because they were their parents and they can't leave their ch- children at home, um, you know, by themselves. They don't have childcare. It could be for lots of different reasons. There's lots of interest in this too in colleges in rural areas where it's sure. just you know rural you live a hundred miles from the nearest. Right. Absolutely. You're you're too far. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be you know it could also you know be about you know transcending the 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 um, boundary of countries and you know having to you know, visa and moving and, you know, all of that, all of that stuff too. So I don't know. I, to me, it, it definitely feels to me that it makes sense. And I, I, I don't know if, I think that the nature of that profession, you know, the teaching profession, I think you're right. It's the future of it in that it will eventually become something that, you know, you know, if you want to teach, you want to be a professor, you want to work with mm-hmm. students it is a skill that you're going to need to get. And I think you get used to it over time. And I think students are going to really just expect it. Um, And I know that exactly what you mean by, you know, your daughter saying, hey, you know what, (laughs) I'm not feeling (laughs) feeling it this morning. Um, But there's also, I mean, I've actually heard some um, students who would say, I I do so much better when um, I um, look at the video. Yeah. I don't go to the class. I look at the video at two times speed. Mm-hmm. I got an hour worth of you know lecture in half an hour, and I actually get more in that half an hour than if I had been there for an hour. And some of it, I mean, I think some of my children, um, they are the high school age. I have some high schoolers at my in my family. And, um, you know, um, three of, three of them have, um, ADHD and, and I think that for them listening to something double speed is their speed. Yeah. They prefer that. In fact, if you do normal speed, they are, their minds wondering, (laughs) they're like, come on. (laughs) I kind Um, of like that too. I don't have a lot of patience with videos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I don't know. I, I mean, and being able to like scrub and like uh-huh. and see, you know, like can look for things and stuff. It's it's really, I, I think it's it's liberating. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that um, the teaching sort of modality is, you know, there's a certain amount of performance that I always had to go into teaching, I guess, in many uh-huh. ways, you know. Um, right. You have to be sort of, you know, jazzed up and have yeah. be energetic and go absolutely. in and you know, kind absolutely. Of whatever, whatever your mood is aside and just be ready to, you know, be. You, you've always said there's a performative aspect uh-huh. to it, has always been. Um, I feel like that. Honestly, even writers these days, if you're just a writer and you're just a writer, you, you, if you, you're doing <laughs> bit on writing, um, you know, books, actually many times now, you, you know, if you have the ability to do an 
awesome audio version of it and you can be you know the reader in audible yeah. it's preferred it's great you know um and so um there are there are lots to think about in this more multimodal world yeah um, yeah i i wanted to go go to um and by the way i should do a little plug on um SPS uh, actually had a good representation here at Digi Scholars uh, back in season one. Um, Karen Gonzalez was, you know, had this um, great, we had this great conversation with her. She's amazing. She is. She really is. You have a lot of really great people working for you, um, Jennifer. How do you do this? this? Does this have a lot to do with leadership or does it have also something to do with the the sort of um, culture and the setup at SPS, it almost feels like you you get to invite people from sort of the best of from all the different schools to come to you. Yes. Is that right? Is that how it works? It might sound like we're stealing <laughs> or poaching. Well, you got poached first. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I guess everybody kind of did in the very beginning because uh, well, we all had to source it from somewhere. Come from right? somewhere. Um, you know, I think we get people who who are maybe creative, imaginative, want some space and want the opportunity to try new things and, you know, and do new things. I have to say for myself, when I came to SPS, well, even when I was at Medgar, I started out as um, a member of what was called the consortial faculty. That was kind of the core group of people who formed the first degree and were sort of the faculty body. And Howard was part of that. Jordy was part of that. Um, Joe I remember. Uh, I remember. Uh, but you you still held your position at your respective right. institution while being mm-hmm. sort of this social faculty. Right. Like we were teaching kind of as an overload or, or participating mm-hmm. um, maybe for some reassigned time um, that was compensated back to the college. And then as the, as the school grow, grew in, I think it was 2011, I had been going to the consortial faculty meetings and people were talking about, you know, we're growing so much. We really can't manage general education anymore. We need someone to come and oversee that part. And I, I thought, oh, that'd be fun. I'd like to do that. So I, you know, I said, I w- I'll, I'd love to do that job. And yeah. then I came over to SPS full time, but since then, starting from general education, I ended up kind of launching an orientation program that now, you know, it, it serves big numbers of, you know, all of our new freshmen or new students twice a year. Um, we have an offshoot on that for our visiting students. We have another really interesting um experience that we created called Test Flight that is a free one-week um online learning simulation so people who want to say what's it like to take an online course they can register for test flight yeah and (laughs) we can just let them be in this course and you know it has assignments it has discussion boards they get a chance to try out the tools and um you know and just be in an online course because uh what we were really frustrated with is you know trying to like show a static picture of blackboard or you know, even trying to show a video or anything, it's just flat and it doesn't really give the experience of being an yeah. online student. So um, right. now Test Flight runs about 10 times a year um, for, for wow. prospective yeah. students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
And then um, the Open Education Resource Initiative, uh, that's in my portfolio. And we've got um, almost all the gen ed courses are, are zero textbook cost. Uh, we've got more than 50% of the undergraduate courses are zero text. All the sections are zero textbook cost. And that's been that's another CUNY-wide initiative with some really generous funding that has come now for about five or six years in a row from, from New York State. Uh, and then in 2014, I started a credit for prior learning program that now has, has really grown. So all of that is a way of saying that it's it, it can be kind of overwhelmingly nimble to be in a, a kind of a startup institution, but there's also a lot of opportunity because there's not already somebody doing that, or there's not someone to say, stay in your lane, you know, and mm -hmm. our, our founding Dean, John Mogileski was very open to new ideas. And, you know, if you thought you had a good idea, he, he would generally support it. So that's, it's been great. And we've so a lot you, of great people. You, you, you talked about a number of things. Um, by the way, I, I would like to come back to the leadership part later too, because I, I I'm not letting you off the hook. Because there's something <laughs> pretty special about that, because you attract really good people around you. Um, but I wanted to, I mean, you talked about general education, credit for prior learning, open educational resources, which you know it's usually called OER, mm -hmm, you know, so mm -hmm. it's low cost to free textbook, you know, situation. Yeah. Um, so a tremendous amount focus on sort of student needs and student success. And of course, schools should do that. Why shouldn't they yeah. do it? But right. I mean, we say that, but then at the same time, you know, we have many, many institutions in the world who has been operating for a long time in the model and the mo in the modality that they, they've been used to. And that's because, you know, for generations that's been that way. And then the last boss said yeah. this and they're <laughs> going to do the same thing. And they also went through the, the you know, as students and as, you know, right. You know, coming up as a, a new faculty member, they had to do these things. So everyone else has to do the same thing. And, and it just kept giving passed on. So in some sense, um, you know, we get a little bit numb with uh, those, you know, we take certain things for granted for no real particular reasons textbook is a really good you know example of that right for so many weeks, years why is a semester 15 weeks yeah there's all kinds of things like that. <laughs> but to me one of the things that is interesting is textbook i absolutely get um you're saving the students money allowing them to you know have a chance at, at succeeding in a course without having to mm -hmm sell their kidney to, to buy textbook. To buy that $200 textbook, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's one textbook. And if they take a full course, course load, we could be talking about $1,000 a semester. And it's actually, I, you know, I, I think it's swinging a little bit the other way now, the pendulum, but, you know, then the, the textbook was also um, an online course cartridge. And so you couldn't even buy a used textbook because the textbook would come with the code that would allow the student to access right, right. the homework platform so or whatever. bypass so, that whole thing right. and so you, you can't even do it secondhand and yeah. all this stuff. And, and then, but, so I get that, you know, you're trying to save the students money, you're, you know, you're making it more possible for them to do that. And of course, I think it, it should be the case, but I would even argue a little bit further, you know, why are we so fixated on textbook in the 
from the you know in the in the at the root level. I mean, look, there is certain part of education is about content, is about you know mean, needing the to gain certain amount of content, you know, and 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 for an instructor the. The, the need to push the amount of content, you know, transfer it over to you. But I think that we can all agree, especially sort of post Google world, that there was always going to be more content than you can ever yeah. consume. Right. And, and so, you know, the ability to digest things, the ability to learn becomes suddenly a lot more, you know, like a lot more the, the, the real skill that we need, you know, right. as students. And so the idea of textbooks being sort of the majority of someone's cost or such a huge percentage of the cost doesn't make it much sense. And the fact that textbooks has to take up, you know, like I feel like when I used to teach and there is like an area that says, what's your textbook? And I said, I'm not using one. And they go, what? Yeah. Like, are you insane? And <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. Like, I don't see that, that, you know, I feel like that I, I don't, you know, we're not going to be focusing around, you know, a textbook and, right. and, and it's okay. You know, it's, uh, we were still going to do fine, you know, it's going to be better. <laughs> yeah, so, that was what actually got me into teaching online in the first place is I was, te- I was teaching English literature and, and, you know, Shakespeare and Homer, and there were just so many amazing online resources out there, you know, really cool mm-hmm. websites. And right. I thought that's, you know, why would I buy the Norton Anthology, right? When I, you know, why would I make students buy the Norton Anthology when I could bring, you know, kind of curate this really yeah. great collection of stuff. Yeah. And now I'm seeing really interesting things being done, as we were talking about with letting the students kind of make those connections and, and curate their own set of information. And um, yeah. in the history classes, I know that um, thinking about uh, Jordy and uh, Kate Culkin, who also teaches for us, they're doing things with, you know, pr- uh, primary sources and then two different opinions of the primary sources that were contemporary and, you know, really letting the students engage with um the arguments and the issues as yeah. they were being presented at the time rather than being sort of regurgitated and presented. Yeah, it's really- I, I actually went to a, um, a a conference session or workshop by Jordi and Kate uh-huh. about that. And it was amazing because it it allows for, it focuses on sort of developing the interrogation skill of the students, mm-hmm. being able to take, you know, pieces of, primary sources and make sense of it and try to try to figure out what's real and what the significance is it you 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 know that's a skill that you develop you don't just read about in a textbook because right. it's experience of developing that skill that is part of the learning experience if someone mm-hmm. told you that you know the answer to that actually that would suck because right they just you just wasted an opportunity that they would have had to be able to figure it out for themselves, which is the learning experience. Right, and the critical thinking that we're always talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really fantastic. This concludes part one of our conversation. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversation series is brought to you by Digication, 
a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.